Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We're a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, the facility we're building designed for the energizing and growth of men, or would like to financially partner with us in our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. All right, guys. Hey, I stand before you guys tonight feeling very blessed. Honestly, I feel very lucky. It's not because I put all my 401k in Amazon or Tesla five years ago. I didn't move all my cash to Bitcoin a year ago. Sorry, Jake, uh, back there. Uh, I'm not the smartest or best looking guy in the crowd. We don't know Fede. Where's Fede? But what I am, what I feel lucky about tonight is better than all those things. I feel lucky tonight because I got a great dad. You guys got the photo? Are we able to put the photo up there? This is my dad. He's 80 years old, and uh, he's been my best friend for 47 of those years because that's how old I am. And so uh, tonight, you know, as we look at this story of David, I couldn't help but think of my dad and what a great influence he's been on my life. I could sit up here and tell you a lot of stories about my dad, but I want to share just two of them quick a second. First, when I was a kid growing up, we were a big sports family. And every Sunday afternoon in the summer, my dad would, uh, after lunch, he'd slip down and take a little nap like all good fathers do, right? But then he'd get up and we'd go outside. And for about two hours, he'd pitch balls to me and he'd hit grounders to me. And we just played baseball together. And I can still visualize it today. The other thing I can visualize is every night when I would go to bed, I'd walk past my mom and dad's bedroom. And I would see my mom and dad every night sitting on the floor on their knees, leaning on the bed, praying together. Guys, that's a visual of my dad and my mom, but especially my dad that will never leave me for as long as I live. My dad on his knees praying with my mom. I love it. I've been so blessed because for 47 years of my life, my dad has been my biggest fan. And outside of my wife, Jenny, he's the first person that I still call if I need encouragement or support because he's done it my whole life. We see the exact opposite of that tonight in a lot of ways today, guys. In David, we see you know somebody who's really, in a lot of ways, a train wreck in fatherhood. He's disconnected. He's passive, and it has a tremendous impact on his sons. So we're going to look at that a little bit. Some of us, likely many of us, have grown up in a similar situation. Your dad may have been completely absent, or if he was physically present, he was emotionally non-existent. And he didn't raise you the way a father is called to raise his sons. If that's you tonight, I'm sorry. It hurts, and it's not fair. But we're going to look at this tonight, and we're going to see that, you know what? That struggle that you have, you're not alone. You're not alone in that struggle. I want to show some stats tonight. You got this up here. Look at some of these numbers of what happens, how important fatherhood is. Look at some of these numbers. Boys without fathers, 50% of boys with a mom under 30 are fatherless right now. These are stats from what's going on in our country right now. 23% of of children are fatherless. 85% of juvenile prisoners are fatherless. 75% of youth in drug rehab 
are fatherless. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. You guys catching a theme here? Catching the importance of fathers? 40% of fathers who aren't married never see their children after two years. Average boy plays 13 hours of video games weekly. The average boy with a father talks to him 30 minutes per week. 13 hours with video games, 30 minutes in conversation with a dad. Boys without fathers are behind in 70 measures of emotional health. That's what's going on in America right now, guys. The most natural thing for a young man to want to be is his father. And yet when you look at this, you see how important fathers are, right? So here's my hope in tonight's lesson, that as we look at the mistakes that David made, we can also learn from that, but then we can also see that David does respond in the end. He never gives up on his dream of building the temple. And in the end, he sets his son Solomon up for tremendous success. So there's a lot for us to learn tonight, guys. Would you join me in prayer? And we'll ask for the Holy Spirit to lead us. Father God, thank you for this night. Thanks for this lesson. Lord, we've enjoyed this study of David and we've learned so much. Tonight, we learned some things that, Lord, we, we really wanna avoid in a lot of ways because these guys, we wanna be good dads. Lord, and we see the impact of what it means to be a good dad. And so we're praying for that. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit. I pray for your Holy Spirit, Father. Lord, just let your Spirit's word come, th come through me. And Lord, I pray that your Spirit would teach these guys what you want them to hear tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Tonight's lesson starts in 2 Samuel 13. And in many ways, it seems like we picked up right where we left off last week. Dealing with the same issue, which is our inability to control our sexual appetite. If you weren't here for last week's lecture, I strongly encourage you to go to the Heart of a Man website, download Bill's lecture. It was really, really powerful. And he gave a lot of great practical points to help men deal with their lust. Last week, we saw David abuse his positional power to take another woman and have sex with her to fill his own selfish desires and lusts. In chapter 13 tonight, we see one of David's sons, Amnon, abuse his physical power to rape his sister. I think one of the first thoughts that jumps into our head is, how the heck does this happen? This is a crazy story. How does this happen? Take a moment to think about your first perception of women. How was it formed? How was your perception of women formed? It may have changed over time, but our perception of women is formed by our father. The most natural thing for a young man to want to be is his father. When I was a little kid, I put on coveralls, I put on farm boots and a hat that my dad would wear on the farm because I wanted to be like my dad. When I got a little bigger, you know where I was every day? I was out on the farm with my dad. And for a long time, I wanted to be a farmer just like my dad. Amnon was David's oldest son. First Chronicles 3 tells us that he was born in Hebron. And so by the time the family moves to Jerusalem, Amnon is old enough to observe things. And he's paying attention. And he sees what's going on. 
And like every son, he is watching his father and he's learning to be just like his dad. And what is he watching and observing? He's seeing his father take multiple wives and concubines and use his power and authority to get whatever he wanted. Based on his father's example, Amnon believed women were used primarily for selfish fulfillment and for personal pleasure. That's what he saw in his dad. So dads, what are your boys learning from you as they watch you? How are you treating your wife in front of your children? Do your boys see you show affection to your wife? Do they see you respect your wife? Do they see you make sacrifices for your wife? What comments do you make about your wife in front of your boys? Candidly, this is the hardest one for me. I have a tendency to use sarcastic humor so that people will like me. Jenny and I got married five and a half years ago. And for the first several years, I would make sarcastic comments about Jenny in front of friends and other people. And what I meant to be a joke only brought tears to her eyes. I can't tell you how many times we would get in the car and drive home and Jenny would start to well up with tears and she would look at me and she would say, is that really what you think about me? Guys, that hurts so bad because I was just trying to be funny to, to, be, to make friends, but to Jenny, I was embarrassing her and I was degrading her in front of friends or worse yet, people that she didn't even know that I knew. So they didn't even know how great she is. And all of you who know her knows how great she is. If you are doing that in front of your sons and communicating that about your wife, in essence, you're saying to them, this is how a man treats his wife. So what attitude, action, or communication do you need to change to set your sons up to be the husbands and fathers that God has called them to be? And for those of you with daughters, I know you don't just have sons out there. I know you got daughters too. For those of you with daughters, your actions are just as important to them because how you treat your mom and how you even treat them is creating an image for them. It's an image of what it means to be a woman. It's an image of what it means to be a husband. You have a tremendous opportunity to model for them what they should look for in a future husband. So dads, what kind of a husband will your daughters end up with based on the model that you have set for them? And for you guys who aren't married yet, if you didn't hear it last week, hear it this week. Stop pursuing women simply to fulfill your own sexual desires and appetite. If that's what you saw in your dad, then break the cycle. Is that hard? You darn right it's hard. But I know it can be done. I've seen men, some of them sitting in this very room, who have done the hard work to break that cycle. They've worked hard to look at their emotions, looked at the root cause of what was causing them to act a certain way, and they've worked on fixing it. Don't believe Satan's lies, guys. Don't believe everything you see on TV or your phone or the internet. Sex is made for one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. There's a reason God designed it that way. When we believe that we know better 
What's good for us than what God does? We experience two things, brokenness and shame. And we see that in Amnon, don't we? You know, he rapes his sister, and then listen to what it says in verse 15. It says, then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he loved her. He has sex, he rapes her, and then hatred. That's brokenness and shame, guys. If you are not married and currently in a sexual relationship, stop, stop. I know everything around you outside of the Bible is saying it's okay. It's all right. You're just having fun. Everybody's doing it. Maybe you're even one of those smart people because you don't want to get divorced. And so you and your girlfriend are just seeing if you're compatible together. It's a lie, guys. It's a lie straight from the devil. Sex outside of marriage may seem okay right now, but it will no doubt limit your emotional and physical connection to your wife one day. I've experienced it myself, and I've heard it from countless other men as well. A friend recently shared that he grew up without a father, and his mom gave him a birthday present of a box of condoms when he was a teenager. You can about imagine what that road that set that young man down. As, a, as without a father and a mom who gives him a box of condoms. That same man has now been married for over 25 years to one woman. Hearing that, you may say, see, it can all work out. It's okay. Everything, it's good, right? But what you don't know is that guy says, he told me it took the first 20 years of his marriage to unwind all the damage that was done because of what he did before he met his wife. Today, God has redeemed that marriage and that couple is ministering to other couples in ways that they never dreamt possible. Praise the Lord. But that, if that man was standing here today and he had the opportunity to go back and do it all differently, I know he would. Because the pain that he has dealt with, he and his wife, is real and it's hard. You don't need to make the same mistakes, guys. Learn from men who have gone before you. It's been said that a smart person learns from his own mistakes, but a wise person learns from other people's mistakes. So my question is this, who in here is smart and who in here is wise? Romans 8, five through six says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Men, we saw it last week. We see it again this week. We must learn to control our sexual appetite, and that battle begins by addressing whatever is the root cause that leads us to our lust. Bill put together some great questions these last two weeks that asked us to get real about what's causing us to be vulnerable to sexual temptation. If you glanced over those questions, if you pencil whipped it, go back. Take the time to do the hard work and figure out what the emotions are that's causing you to feel the way that you, you do. There is almost always an underlying emotional issue to lust that's causing you to sin. You can't solve the problem of sin until you deal with the emotions that are leading to it. 
So what will you do this week to address the emotions that are fueling your sexual appetite? And how can you help other men regain emotional stability so they can gain control over their sexual appetite? From Amnon, we move to Absalom. And unfortunately, we see more of the same in terms of David's failures as a dad. For two years, Absalom plans to kill his brother Amnon. Finally, he approaches David with an idea. It's a great idea, really. I mean, he approaches him with a family trip to go see the sheep being sheared. It's fantastic. Great family time, right? David, at first, declines Absalom's request, but Absalom keeps pressing. Still, David resists. Then Absalom comes with the question that he was really after the whole time. Well, how about if I take my brother Amnon with me? David wisely responds with a question of his own. Well, why would you want to do that? But he doesn't go any further. He doesn't dig deeper into why Absalom is asking the question. Still not deterred, Absalom asks for all of his brothers to go, and now David says, yes, you can go. You remember how the story unfolds from here. Absalom ultimately kills Amnon to avenge his sister's death. David responds this time by kicking Absalom out of the palace. Absalom develops a conspiracy to overtake the throne from his father, David. He storms into Jerusalem, and David flees the palace. There's more fighting and death in David's family, and Absalom is ultimately murdered by Joab, David's number one guy, who he told directly, don't kill Absalom. And in the end, we see David mourning the loss of another son. There's a lot in here, and you get to cover some of that in the lesson tonight, but here's something you need to see in this. While David was an incredible fighter, he was a terrible father. While he had unbelievable courage and trust in the Lord on the battlefield, he was insanely passive and uninvolved as a father. Men, if you are great at the office, but you are not great at home, I would say that you are not great at all. Let's be wise men, not just smart men, and let's look at some of David's failures and see what we can learn here. The penalty for adultery in that time was being stoned to death. Yet David didn't do anything to punish Amnon after raping Tamar. What discipline are you avoiding in your children tonight? Absalom asked to go on a trip with his brother who raped his sister, and David lets it happen. That would indicate that he never talked to Absalom about what happened to his sister. He never knew how Absalom was feeling, and he never helped him deal with his anger. What issue is your son or daughter dealing with that you need to help them process? Then two years, Absalom sits right under David's nose. Bad mouse David manipulates the people into thinking Absalom is a great guy. Then David gets him his blessing to go offer a sacrifice that's really a conspiracy for Absalom to raise up an army to come back and take the throne from David. What are your kids involved in that you don't know about because you haven't taken the time to ask them because you're too focused on yourself? To top it off, when Absalom comes to attack him, David runs. 
Guys, what's happened to the guy who stood in front of Goliath with all this courage and was like, I'm gonna, you're gonna pound dirt. Where's that guy? What happened to him? Well, scripture doesn't tell us exactly. I think we can safely imply a couple of things. First, the shame and weight of David's sin has prevented him from confronting the sin that he now sees in his sons. How can we surmise this? Because we've all been there before ourselves. Man, that guy swears a lot. Yeah, but I swear too. I'm just not, I'm not gonna say anything. That guy tells a lot of jokes that make people, other people uncomfortable. Makes me kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, but I say stupid things sometimes too. I'm just, I'm just gonna not say anything. I wish that guy would stop making comments about other women because it makes, takes my mind to a bad place. Who am I kidding? I have lustful thoughts without this guy putting them in my mind. I'm, I'm not gonna say anything to him. Sound familiar to anybody? Anybody run that play in their mind like I do sometimes? Guys, shame is one of the greatest tools that the devil will use. And if you don't do something to counteract it, it's going to destroy you and prevent you from ever having the influence that God wants you to have on your family, your friends, and your coworkers. Shame has two tapes that it plays over and over and over again. You will never be good enough, and who do you think you are? That's the tape that shame plays in our head over and over and over again. You will never be good enough, and who do you think you are? Can't you hear those playing in David's mind? Think about it. David, you were never going to be good enough to tell your sons how to live. You took another man's wife, had sex with her, then killed the husband to cover it up. Who do you think you are? I mean, I can just hear it playing in David's mind. Now, you may argue, David didn't feel that way. Look, look, look at what he wrote in Psalm 51. We studied it last week. He dealt with his sin. He confessed it to the Lord. Here's the problem with that line of thinking, guys. Shame and guilt are two different things. Guilt is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and that drives us to repentance. Guilt focuses on behavior, and it says, I did something bad. Did David feel guilty? You bet he did. Nathan confronted him, and then David was broken by his sin. He wept, he mourned, he wrote Psalm 51. He poured out his heart to the Lord in confession. Praise the Lord. I hope we all feel guilt when we sin. We need to feel like David. Shame is different. Shame is a tool of the devil. It causes us to focus on ourselves and says, I am bad. Guilt, I did something bad. Shame, I am bad. Huge difference. The other thing shame does is it drives us to be alone. We shut down and we don't let anyone else in. That's what shame does. Shame needs three things to grow. It needs secrecy, it needs silence, and it needs judgment. So how do we combat shame? Well, if shame needs secrecy, silence, and judgment, 
What do you guys think we need? We need community, connection, and relationship to overcome it. Secrecy, silence, judgment, community, connection, relationship. Total different ends of the spectrum. To do this, we need to embrace the V word, vulnerability. Vulnerability, men, we hear vulnerability and we think weakness. No. Vulnerability is not weakness, men. Vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, change, and belonging. That's what you get when you get vulnerable. You get innovation, change, and belonging. Vulnerability is the most accurate measure of true courage. Because when we are vulnerable, we let go of who we think we should be, and we start to have the courage to be who we really are. I wrestled with this myself the whole weekend when I was preparing this. I made a comment earlier that the impact of having sex before marriage will create a disconnection between you and your wife. How do I know that? Because I made that mistake. And it's impacted my marriage with Jenny. It's hard for me to admit that because I'm afraid of what people might think of me. But as I studied this lesson on David and saw how shame prevented him from being a good father and leading his family, I said to myself, you have to be vulnerable too, Scott. This lesson isn't about me, but like me, maybe some of you sitting in those chairs tonight can resonate with David's passivity. As I wrestled with this and even judged David at times, I finally saw through the lies to say, me too, I'm David. I'm letting shame and mistakes and fear make me passive in areas that God's called me to lead. And every week that goes by that I don't address the shame and the fear inside of me and I'm not vulnerable, I lose an opportunity for closer connection to the people that I love the most. And I miss out on a more abundant life filled with passion and purpose. Guys, if you're like me, if you're sitting in passivity, if you're afraid to be vulnerable, just make a move, step forward. Find somebody who you can trust to have that conversation with. David never dealt with his shame and his failures and mistakes. He allowed shame to take him out of the game. And his family got destroyed as a result. What shame are you carrying tonight that's taking you out of the game? Men, we need friends in our lives who can help us move past the shame that comes as a result of the mistakes and failures that we've made. We all have them. And it's time we get real about them. And if you think you're too broken and another man won't accept you for who you are, you're wrong. You're mistaken. We're all broken. And nobody's more broken than anybody else. Relationships and connection are part of God's design to helping us heal. Listen to these words. 2 Corinthians 7, 6, Paul says, but God who comforts the downcast. People say, we just need God, we just need God. Yes, we need God, but listen. God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you 
as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. Here's Paul, and he's comforted. Yeah, he's comforted by God and the Holy Spirit, but he's comforted by Titus coming to him. Proverbs 25 says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Guys, this is what heart of a man is all about. Men helping other men become better followers of Jesus, and that takes knowing God's word and having some brothers to help you deal with the brokenness and shame that you're wrestling with. If you don't think we need this as men, listen to these stats. 89% of men don't have a close friend and have no one to talk to in crisis. Four times as many men are committing suicide as women. Six million men are affected by depression annually. That's where we're at, guys. We need each other. David the warrior lost Jonathan, the best friend, and he never recovered. He had all sorts of men around him, but he never pursued another friend like Jonathan. He sought comfort and pleasure instead. Where? In sleeping with women. And what did it leave him? It left him empty and alone, shame and passive. Ultimately, it disconnected him from his family. Men, fathers are called. They're required to lead their sons and set clear boundaries for them. When you have a, first, a son, you forego the right to disconnect from your family. I don't say that to make, you think, to make you think twice about being a father. I say that to make you understand the opportunity that you have to lead your family. The role of the father is the greatest gift outside of salvation that you could be given. But when we fail, the consequences are incredibly costly. We looked at those earlier. So what failures are causing you to withdraw from leadership in your family? What young man do you know that you could be a father figure too? And for those of you without fathers, what are you doing right now to deal with the wounds that that caused so that you can step in and be a good dad when the time comes? First Amnon, then Absalom, and finally Adonijah. Again, we see David as a passive and disconnected father. First Kings 1.6 tells us that he never had the courage to discipline Adonijah. No doubt as a result of the shame that he felt from his own sins. This time, David's lack of leadership allowed Adonijah to try to steal the, son, the throne from his brother Solomon. Fortunately, while David was passive, Nathan and Bathsheba were not. They helped David get back on track. He re-engages in the game, and he finally steps back into leadership of his family, and he sets his son Solomon up, a successor of the throne. What we see here tonight, guys, is the importance of having key people in our lives that we can trust and listen to. As we've been discussing, none of us can do this alone. You can't do it alone, guys. You can't. Here's David. I mean, if you think that David, a man's man, right? He can't do it alone. Look at where he's failing all over the place with his family. When David resigned his position of influence in Amnon's life, Amnon listened to his friend, Jonadab. 
Guy, guy's name is Jonadab. It just sounds like Jonah bad, right? Jonadab gave Amnon terrible advice. When David continued to fail in his leadership, he was able to receive counsel from the right people. Proverbs 13.20 says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You know who wrote that? Solomon. Solomon. Amnon's brother and David's son. You think he knew what he was talking about? He saw his brothers firsthand take advice, advice from the wrong people, and it was a complete failure. But then he saw his dad get some advice from the right people, and it set him up for success. Men, if you are not paying attention to who is influencing you in your life right now, wake up. You need to take inventory tonight of the friends you have around you. If you don't have men in your life who are speaking truth, speaking hard truth in your life, get new friends. Who are the trusted advisors in your life that can help you lead and help guide you? Are your friends helping you become a better man, helping you move closer to God? Or are your friends taking you further away from God? Which one of your friends tonight is contemplating doing something stupid that you need to confront him on? Call him, text him tonight, do something, but don't just sit there and idly watch him make a huge mistake. Schedule a breakfast or a lunch. Do whatever you got to do. Be a Nathan. Don't be a Jonadab. Thankfully, David remains engaged in leading his family. And in 1 Chronicles 28 and 29, we see him provide Solomon with everything he needed to build the temple for the Lord. David gave Solomon the plans that the Holy Spirit had given him. And he instructed him, to, to commit his life to God and to never depart from his laws. David told Solomon to never be afraid because God would always be with him. David became king when he was 30, and after 40 years of ruling, he died. This is a beautiful reminder in here to each one of us tonight. As followers of Jesus, we are called to prepare the world for Jesus coming back. We've been commanded to take dominion, to multiply, and to make disciples. God clearly has work for each one of us to do. David fulfilled his purpose. He didn't do it perfectly, but he got the job done. He cleared Israel of pagan nations. He made Jerusalem and Mount Zion the home of God. He prepared his son Solomon to build the temple. And he left a legacy in his own family that would ultimately bring forth the Messiah. How are you doing on the assignment that God has given you? Do you even know what that assignment is? Or are you so focused on the world, on making money, on doing what the world around us says is right, that you haven't taken the time to check in with God to say, is this really what you want me to do? For those of us who have failed, or maybe even are failing right now, 
Let the end of David's life be an encouragement to you. The game is not over. Jesus hasn't returned yet. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and get back in the game. And if you can't pick yourself up, then put a hand up. Put a hand up and say, hey, brother, can you help me? I need some help. You got all sorts of people around here who want to help you. So put your hand up and ask for some help. If you are alive, you have a purpose. If you're alive, you have a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, this has been an incredible study of David. We've learned so much. And as we leave here tonight, I want to encourage you, stay in the game. Dads, grandpas, your sons and grandsons need you to stay engaged. Sons, check in with your dads every once in a while. See how they're doing. Single guys, if you are looking for fulfillment in a strictly sexual relationship with a woman, you will wake up feeling empty and full of shame every time. Men, stop being passive. Stop it. Stop being passive in your marriages, in your relationships, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your children. Be engaged, be active, get in the game. David was a man after God's own heart, and yet he struggled and failed. One of my favorite quotes, failure is an event, not a destination. We've all failed, and reality is we likely will fail again. But you know who never fails? God. God never fails. Ultimately, we see God's plan prevail. Even when David lost his way, God's kingdom will not falter because of our failures. He redeems our lives for eternity, and he uses broken men like David, like you, and like me to fulfill his plans and to carry out the gospel. Guys, I want you to hear the words of David that he gave his son Solomon when he charged him with building the temple. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 20 says this, Then David said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God, even my God, is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. He's saying those same words over us tonight, guys. Be strong and courageous. Do it. Do the work because God is with us. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you that you are with, with us, Lord, that you have work for us to do. You've called us to be dads, to be sons. You've called us to be men. And the world needs us to lead, needs us to step up, Father. Lord, I pray that you would empower each one of these men as we walk out of here tonight, Lord, as they go to their homes, as they go to their work tomorrow, Lord, give them the strength that they have to engage, to not be passive. Help us to deal with our shame, Lord. Don't let us listen to the devil who wants to keep us out of the game. Help us to hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Lord, and to confess our sins and to re-engage with your power running through our bones and our blood, Father God. Lord, we love you. Thank you for David, the story.
of this great man. Thank you for what we learned from him. And Lord, help us to take the good things that David did and to apply those to our lives and to take the things where he failed and try to be better. Lord, we love you so much. I thank you for these men and I pray that you'll bless them as they go home from here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.